welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching Steel Magnolias. A young beautician newly arrived in a small Louisiana town finds work at the local salon where a small group of women share a close bond of friendship and welcome her into the fold. Well, we've made it. We've made it to the big kahuna. <laughs> it's all been leading here. It is. It's 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 a big one. It's the end of the 80s. This is a really big deal. It is a big deal. And it's such a big deal that we need a guest to help us talk about it. Who is our guest, David? Our guest is variety streamer, role player, voiceover artist, RPG player, storyteller, extraordinaire. It is Jordan, a.k.a. the Lady Dame. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'll admit, I was really excited to get to be a part of the Steel Magnolias one because I was like, oh, this is like all the 80s ladies, like all of them. <laughs> it, it really is. Yeah. We've talked about four of these women already? Three. Not just in this series, but we've talked about them in our show as a whole. We've been doing this show for four years. Wait, no, this is season five. Oh, my Fuck. God. Fuck. This is a lot. <laughs> So yeah, we've talked about a lot of these people. Our director, we've talked about four different... This is our fourth time talking about this director. Yeah, it's time. It's time to hit this movie. (laughs) I'm so honored that this is the one I'm on. (laughs) And as is the conceit of this movie, I have seen it. David Uh had not. David, explain yourself. Weird fact, I had seen the play on Broadway in 2005. When it was revived, okay. I had no comprehension of what Steel Magnolias was. We had tickets as part of a high school trip, and I did not know what I was in for. We were on the third row, and it I, I definitely did tear up at it. I recall mm-hmm. that. I didn't remember yeah. a whole lot of the story, but during the big scene, yeah. the scene, we did get hard candy spat upon us because we were in the third row. Splash zone, Are you if you will. Serious? It was very, very close. I think they were also in previews, which was part of how we got the tickets. Sure. Oh, cool. So it it was wild. And the big claim to fame was Delta Burke was playing the Dolly Parton role. Oh shoot. Okay. So, That's pretty okay. damn cool. <laughs> that was the big thing with it. Oh my gosh. But no, never seen the film. Oh my God. It's, it's honestly, I can't tell you how many times I have seen it. It's one of my favorite films of all time. (laughs) Also, I will say too, I didn't mention this earlier, but I am recently also a beauty school graduate. Like this is, I I rewatched it for this. And this is the first time I've watched it since like going to beauty school. And I'm like this, like you could not have, you can have brought me on for a more perfect movie for me personally, <laughs> honestly. Um, but like it like hits a little different because I'm like, oh, I'm I'm also a recent beauty school grad. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, look at their technique. All right, okay. That's cute. <laughs> it's a little dated. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing this on TV and I would see different bits of it because this one played mm-hmm. a lot. Oh, all the time. There's nothing you you had to cut. No. So this is this was a Saturday, Sunday afternoon special. Yeah, I just do like she dies. Who cares? And and I also knew like the name of this movie makes no sense to me. It's like I don't care, but I like that Dolly Parton was in it. I mean, it, yes, <laughs> I really like that. And I thought Julia Roberts' hair looked horrible um, at, <laughs> when she cut it. I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm gonna say the because the beginning, is yeah, iconic. Right, exactly. The short hair 
It's Ugh. not a good look for her. It was not a good look. No. And I also remember because I had ended up watching it several different times over my life. I mean, like, this depiction of diabetes is very confusing to me. I don't, because I truly, I did not understand what was wrong with her. And there's nothing wrong with her. She has diabetes. There's nothing wrong with anyone who has diabetes. But that was the sense I got as a child. I was like, what's wrong with her? I definitely remember that, especially that first scene in the beauty when she like goes into the into shock. Essentially, yeah, it's like all over the place. Yeah. Now as an adult, I have a better understanding of what's happening, but there needed to be a little more explanation, which they could have done because they had a Nell there. Uh It could have explained that a little bit because she's clearly has no idea what's going on. And but yeah, part of it, though, is that that is meant to shock Mm -hmm. the viewer. Up until that point, we have had just a little Southern slice of life comedy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you're watching it in the context of the film, you know, when she keeps talking, you think, oh, she's getting cold feet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I even thought that. And I forget the fact that I've seen this story before and knew Mm -hmm. that scene was coming. But I did not figure out how it was tying in. Mm -hmm. It is meant to be utterly shocking. And Mm -hmm. for you to realize that the reason that she is having reservations about this is she is scared of dying after being with this man that she loves. Sure. Scared of dying. And then also like that, that traditional Southern, I can't provide my husband with the thing that he wants, my future husband with the thing that he wants. And that like, he's going to be, and that's going to make him unhappy with me and all of the like, you know, anxiety and fear that, Mm -hmm. you know, women were supposed to have about you know, their role as the wife. The social pressures of a Louisiana yeah. town. Like. Exactly. Small town Louisiana. The the flip side of that is they ratcheted up to 11. I yeah. mean, the depiction of her diabetes has been taken to the absolute extreme form of that. Sure. And that is meant for dramatic tension. Sure. But that also does make it very abrupt to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's like, wow, okay, so, like, you've just made this incredibly, like, the stakes are so high for Shelby on every level. Exactly. (laughs) The entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the stakes were really high for this movie, regardless. Uh, Just quick budget. Uh, It had a $15 million budget. It grossed in the U.S. $84 million, so fabulous return (sighs) on investment. Nice. Well, with Uh, a cast like that and, like, yeah. not, Not a problem. Did great. But the story is based on our author's real life experience of the death of his sister in 1985 from complications from type one diabetes. I did see that. I like looked up a little bit because I was like, I, I'm like, I, I love to do my research sure. and stuff, but it's like, I didn't know that until this, until I was like looking up stuff a little bit beforehand. I was like, oh, that makes sense. So the writer for for both the original play, for which this is based on, this was a play first, mm-hmm. then it was a movie, and then the play went to Broadway because the movie exploded this. Oh, I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was only off-Broadway before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, it was pretty popular off-Broadway, I imagine. People loved it. That's how I mean, it got picked up for the movie. And then the movie was like, holy shit. And then also, again... We were talking before we started recording about Mm -hmm. musicals with women. This is a play of all women. There are no male roles in the play. 
Correct. I have seen it. I've never, I have, I didn't see it on Broadway and, you know, with Delta Burke, but I did see it um, at one of my local theaters. And I say that like, oh, it's a cute little regional theater. No, this was like, this is a like really like union equity, Mm -hmm. like regional theater. And the cast that I, um, I've actually gone on to work with a lot of the women who were in the cast, but uh, like I, I saw it years ago, like that's as a stage play. Mm -hmm. It was just as excellent then. And, you know, it's just, timeless i feel like but also well set in a very specific time period Mm -hmm. it's just such a tight script it is and this was robert harling's first thing after this he did soap dish first wives club the evening star laws of attraction Uh, he developed gcb which stands for good christian bitches and then he created telenovela for television so like soap dish and we I fucking love Soap Dish. It's he a- followed up this with Soap Dish. I, <laughs> like, I did not know that. Wait, wait, what, what, what was the one you said after Soap Dish? Because I, I also just flipped First Wives Club. First Wives Club. Also, like, a fucking great movie. Love that movie. Fabulous female lead film. I didn't realize this was the same guy. It is. Like, those are some really good movies. Like, they are. Really damn good movies. They are bangers. Soap Dish is so goddamn funny. So this guy, he's got some writing chops. He also shows up as both the minister at the wedding and the funeral. I did not know that either. That's amazing. Yeah, that's his cameo in the film. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, like there's, it's like a tight script. It's hilarious and like heartwarming. It's like the one-liners in it too are just like ridiculous. Oh, the the one-liners are just like, and like the Southern-isms about it are just amazing. What I love with the Southern-isms too is it is not overbaked. The Southern-isms are true to life. And that is one of the true tests. Whenever you set a story in the South like this, mm-hmm. you had better be careful with how far you dive into it. Yep. Because mm-hmm. there's a real uncanny valley with people writing Southern dialogue, mm-hmm. especially, and I don't know his background, like if he's from there. And and obviously this is a true to life story. So I mm-hmm. think, you know, being from around there and having that, that's usually one of the big ways that you can accomplish it. Mm-hmm. But man, when you try to write from outside that perspective, you better do your research because otherwise it sounds awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this just sounds perfect. I was trying to think of the line that keeps coming to me back to me is, and it's Olympia, it's Clarice line. Weezer, I love you more in my luggage. And like, I mean, she also delivers it beautifully where it's, it's not like, look, here's a Southern phrase that I'm saying out loud. It's just kind of like snuck in there. Well, that's kind of a funny thing. Uh, one of my, my favorite lines actually happened as a joke, and it happened with the play. I'm not crazy, Malin. I've just been in a very bad mood for 40 years. How can you not love that line? This is one of the best fucking lines in the whole movie. That's in the play. Uh, actually, that happened because the actress playing Weezer went up to Harling and was like, hey, it doesn't make sense that she's getting yelled at and she has no retort. She's so sarcastic and mean and witty. She's got nothing to say to that. Like she's being told she's the meanest woman in the entire town. She doesn't have something back to say to that. And so finally Harlan said, say this. Fine. Well, she says it that night in the show. Biggest laugh of the night. 
And Harling was not expecting that. He's like, okay, you're going to have to do everything the exact same way tomorrow. And I have to, I'm going to watch it very closely. Same thing happens. Biggest laugh of the entire night. It's like, well, I have to include that now in the official script because uh, Mm -hmm. that's the funniest thing in the entire show. Apparently it just (laughs) resonates with a lot of people. It's just, it's just so like, it's just a great way of saying fuck you. Yeah. Without saying fuck you. Exactly. (laughs) Which, I I mean, I used to be like, what is wrong with Weezer? But I'm just like, I understand her now. It explains everything you need to know about Weezer. Like everything. (laughs) She's just a grumpy Southern lady. Yep. (laughs) Been in a bad mood for a long time. Each significant event in the movie falls around a holiday. Shelby's wedding, Easter, Shelby's return and pregnancy announcement, Christmas, Christmas, Shelby's surgery and her son's birthday are 4th of July, Anel's bridal shower and Shelby's collapse are Halloween and Anel goes into labor on Easter. Mm-hmm. So it's a very holiday themed, but which is a little cheesy, but in keeping with the play, you have to have a reason for all these women to show up together. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a holiday and it's going to be for these big events in these people's lives. I'm okay with that. It it helps tell us the passage of time. Yep. Love it. Can't help myself. <laughs> well, and it's great too, like for, I was for the, you know, translating from like, cause I think it's the same. I can't remember if it's the same in the stage play. I know it's clearer in the movie about that, those particular like time passages because, because you get to actually like see all of it and it's easier to like, you know, because you're filming outside and you can film in different locations and all of that. But like having them centered around those holidays gives us those big set pieces and also gives us that like town flavor because you're looking at the different community, like, because it's also the events in the community and it gives us like a real feeling of the world that these women live in when you've got like the big Christmas festival and the house Christmas party mm-hmm. and like the little family 4th of July gathering. Like it all feels like it, it helps place these women in a specific, it keeps them in the town. We're very pro our writing. Writing's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, no, it's, it's there. Uh, it's like the perfect, there, there's a reason this movie is so good and why the play keeps getting done all the time is because like the script is just, it's brilliant. It's so good. And he did such an amazing job of making it in work for the screen. Yeah. Not being precious yes. with the setting mm-hmm. because in the play, I mean, I, it, it's hard to like fully remember it, mm-hmm. but I recall mm-hmm. that it is so centrally located at the salon. Yeah. They don't, you never go outside the salon ever. And in this, mm-hmm. we're not precious with that. You right. still have the same feeling and connection to the characters, but he, he was like, no, we've got to go to other places because we can't just put that on film. Plus we see all the men folk in the movie. Well, and that was the thing I was going to say too. He added all the men in, in a way that is very organic. Yeah. If we're going to see, if we're going to see her fight with her fiance, okay, we got to meet him. We have to instantly understand him. If we're going to see drums shooting the birds, we have to instantly understand. So he, he is such a theater playwright mm-hmm. in that he made it so that the second they showed up, we knew who they were yep. and what their deal was. And he, cause it was very, he was very economical with the men. Um, yes. The only one that I was like, we could have lost him was Truvy's son. Cause I was like, oh my God, he's the fucking worst. And it's just weird and out of place. No purpose. And he's not interesting. No. Like, unless he was going to show up and hook up with Anel, I don't care. 
It just really would have been interesting if Truvy and Spud couldn't have kids. Yeah. Maybe. That could have led even more to, you know, this distance that they have. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think that's the other thing, too, is that the male characters, while in a secondary role, are also just as deep, which is yeah, for not huge. having that much to do. Well, I mean, not Shelby's brothers. Shelby's younger brothers are like just stock ensemble clowns. Yeah, they're doofuses. Sure. Yeah. But like all our main guys, there is there is a whole lot under the surface. Drum, Truvy's husband, Spud, Dylan McDermott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember his name. It doesn't it's matter. It's Dylan guy. McDermott. <laughs> it's just Dylan McDermott. Um, it's, it's a hard. It's a hard balancing act. Either way, when you put secondary characters and something like that, mm-hmm. and to find places to add the depth, and like you said, Diana, establishing those characters the second they show up, mm-hmm. that's huge. And they don't pull focus. Yeah. No. Never. Which, which I'm really glad at because that could have easily happened with a studio. Easily. Easily. It could they could have easily made it all about, you know, you know, young husband losing his wife. They could have made that all about the last bit instead of it being about mom in that moment and what that all needed to be about. But they didn't do it. So I'll say I'll say this though. Some of that is that they didn't stunt cast any of these guys. Mm-mm. They got no. they've got character actors. It doesn't every feel single that way. one of them. Dylan McDermott yeah. is a not. No, he is no, not. He is, he he is, is not. Face. He's a Kendall. But he's a good enough actor to know how not to do that. But especially getting Scarrett and Sam Shepard, those are two of the best guys you could you could bring on to not pull focus from those women. While still being enough of a character to like be interesting and sure. fun to watch when sure. they show up. All right, let's get into our director. It's Herbert Ross. We've talked about him uh, several times before on this podcast. Um, uh, yeah. Once two times in the same series. Yes, I'm not going to go through all of his credits. I'm going to go through the ones we've talked about before. He previously worked on part of Funny Girl, and then he directed Funny Lady. I never watched Funny Lady. And then he followed that up by directing The Sunshine Boys. All three of those films we have previously covered on Macintosh and Mud haven't seen what? After this film, he went on to do My Blue Heaven, True Colors, Undercover Blues, and Boys on the Side. Um, I'll add Footloose, Pennies from Heaven, a bunch of Neil Simon. Definitely watched Footloose a lot and also Pennies from Heaven because I'm a huge Bernadette Peters fan. As a curly-haired ginger, I love like I oh, yeah. you have to. will follow Bernadette Peters. You have to, to follow Bernadette, Bernadette Peters. Like, you, you just have to follow Bernadette Peters. Anyway. I, just, I wanted to be her when I grew up. Like that's, that's all. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> it was her, but you had no choice. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what, what do we think about Herbert Ross? I gotta say, out of all of these movies that we've seen him do, this was the one where he put the lightest touch on it in terms of making it visible. Mm-hmm. I mean. The stuff we've seen, he is a spectacle guy. And funny lady, he did the choreography. He did all of the musical sequences. Uh, Yeah. But like some of the stuff has gotten really heavy handed. But I think one thing we noticed with with the Sunshine Boys was the detail, the level Mm -hmm. of detail that he went into, especially when we have a 30 minute scene in an apartment in that movie. But there is so much to look at while you are in that apartment. There's so much detail going on within that scene that keeps your eye drawn. This movie has that quality too. 
yeah this this film is very detail heavy like it's that first yeah. that first whole sequence when we're setting up everybody like all that shit in that house oh my god there's so and there's like people wandering around and, and the, the little bunting and setting up stuff and the yeah gunshots it's <laughs> yeah. a lot happening all all those uh magnolias that are put in that tree because those are fake Uh, (laughs) very fake because they're way too precise (laughs) they're in a grid they should be more random (laughs) that's your your telltale sign this is fake it's very full and and truly's beauty shop's the same way oh yeah which i love beauty shop he's hit or miss sometimes on these movies but the one thing that he definitely has and some of this is probably just the people that he works with especially in that art department they get that stuff absolutely right they do because that's like you say that salon is just there's so much to look at in that salon that you don't get bored of being in there ever Mm -hmm. at no point now some of that's that you've got you know six incredibly charismatic women acting their asses off correct and the focus is always on them the whole time which Mm -hmm. is great but in a moment in a moment of lull or just conversation there is stuff to look at yeah and that's huge. Mm-hmm. In the show, you would have to do that. If you were on stage, you mm-hmm. would need a lot of detail in that salon because you know audience members are going to go astray. And if they look out, you can break the whole momentum if you don't have that stuff to to be able to rely back on. I was just thinking that too, because of the state, because the stage play, you never see the outside. You only ever see the inside of the salon. Exactly. That the like interior of the salon, all of that decoration and everything like that has to look like it has to be, Lipton. you have to like, oh, it yeah. has to be, you know, this is a shop that was, is built in Truvy's carport. And it like has to look like her shop that she essentially lives in, that she's been in for God knows, 15, 20 mm-hmm. years or something like that. And it's got to have all of this stuff. And she does big Southern hair. And most of her work is probably doing women's wet sets, like, you know, coming in for their weekly hairdo that they then like sleep in and smush in, which, you know, today we don't do hair like that really most, I mean, except for like the, the older lady crowd, but like, that's what you do. You go in, you get your curlers in, you get it brushed out. And like, so all of the stuff that she would need to have for that. And like, also it's her garage. She's lived there. So she's got all of her little trinkets and all of the stuff. And you know, what you assume are like gifts from her son from when he was a kid or gifts from her from her guests and like little party favors from this person's wedding or this person's you know whatever it's so active yeah like and it it all makes sense and i like that in those scenes in there i like how everyone's walking around and like fairies going you know they're they're going in and they're putting on their smocks and they're changing and they're doing this and then like when the ones in the bathroom still yelling (laughs) at the other it's just like yeah like Mm -hmm. i remember when i was much younger my mom had like a regular salon like going to places not like with similar setups like this right it's like oh yeah I remember stuff I remember this or like I remember visiting my grandma when she definitely did stuff like this oh yeah this is like I know I know that that perm chemical smell like Mm -hmm. uh, like oh Ooh. Oh yeah, oh, Lady Jack. Oh, that's what it is. Oh yeah, that's the smell. It never (laughs) leaves Jack smell. That perm smell. Mm -hmm. There's also visually and and film-wise there's something hazy about this movie and not in the vaseline smeared way it's the louisiana swamp haze yep oh my god you're right there is something in how they lit it 
in how everything feels like there there's almost this little bit of humidity and dust in the way the film works. It's dewy. Yeah, that just perfectly captures the whole vibe of where they are. Mm-hmm. It also makes everybody look really pretty. Yeah. Except for Weezer, who looks horrible on purpose. On purpose. But even even she... She gets her moments. Once she gets her yeah. hair done, she looks like a lady. Yeah. <laughs> but when she's supposed to look like crap, she looks horrible. I mean, yeah. But even when she's in her overalls, like with the fur coat and the shaggy dog, and you're, there's just like this moment of her that's still like there's something kind of endearing beautiful about her anyway and she looked yeah i mean the lipstick is a little like too garish in the wrong color and all of that which i is always a detail that i love on like grouchy ladies yeah it's the zero fucks given of it all yeah it just is she does not care no and it's awesome i'm having an affair with a mercedes benz <laughs> yeah oh god I'm a southern woman. I'm supposed to wear ugly clothes and grow vegetables. <laughs> I don't make the rules. Don't make the I rules. don't make the rules. <laughs> God, she's so damn good. Oh, man. I was watching the other day. I was like, this is my future. Yep. <laughs> like, I need to buy some overalls. On the other hand, it's a pretty badass future. I mean, I'm already grouchy. I'm there. I've we've grown a tomato this year. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, so yeah, Herbert Ross did a good job, but yeah, his actresses did not like him. Oh, I read that that like uh. he was real mean to them. So like, I'm 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 gonna caveat this with the thing: his first wife died in 1987. Oh, he was known for being very difficult mm-hmm. to work with, and then telling them the lead actresses they couldn't act. He signaled out Julia Roberts in particular, made her she cry. She was 19. Oh, she was 19. So he made her cry a lot. Yeah. And it got so bad that Shirley MacLaine told him that he had been behaving badly since his wife died and it wasn't particularly respectful to her memory. Yeah. So the experience with him was not good for any, any of the actresses. So that sucks. I don't recall this being an ongoing thing with his other projects. So I want to try to give him the benefit of grief. I would like to give him the benefit of the grief. The only other experience we have is Barbara being... (laughs) Being a great A bitch on Funny Lady. To to Herbert Ross. (laughs) And it's Barbara. So it's like... Yeah. So great script. Decent director having a shitty pretty good directing i would like to give him the benefit of grief (laughs) with that story (laughs) honestly i think that's kind of valid and i love that story about shirley mcclain calling him out yeah like because it's shirley mcclain and also like it just it 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 feels it feels like a weezer thing to do and shirley mcclain has been in the business for a very very fucking long time so like like it just it feels right somehow Mm -hmm. yeah and also, like, it kind of tracks with Steel Magnolias. It's like, yeah, it's a bunch of, like, a bunch of women having to deal with this one asshole. Asshole? I mean, yeah. Asshole. Yeah. This one <laughs> asshole. And it's, I think I read that they, like, it gave them sort of a bonnie. It made it them sort of bond more because they were all being, have like. have to deal with this asshole. They're all like, this is some nonsense right now. Because I think he also, like, picked on Dolly and told her she wasn't a very good actress. And it's like, um, excuse me? And somebody was like, um, have you. No. We've said it this whole series. Leave Dolly alone. 
Dolly Parton is perfect. And Leave her alone. nobody can say anything against her. No. And I will fight. Mm-mm. We will fight. All right. Well, let's let's talk about our cast. I want to know before we talk about them individually, when Betty Davis saw the off-Broadway play, she thought it would be a great film for her. And she envisioned herself as Weezer with Katherine Hepburn as Clary and Elizabeth Taylor as Truvy. However, when she contacted the rights holders for the movie adaptation, she found out that they intended to cast much younger actresses. Ooh. Yeah, much younger. (laughs) By about 20 years. Those are not young women. I mean, compared to who was actually Actually, that's, that's really mean to these women at the time. That's like 30, 40 years, but for some of those ladies. Like, I can't, Captain Catherine Hepburn is Clary makes me. And I I fucking, like, don't get me wrong, I fucking love Catherine Hepburn, but ooh, I just can't see her as Clary at all. No, make Catherine Weezer and put Betty Davis in Clary's role. Okay, that's That's what you do. I want to see Betty Davis hit someone with the purse. I mean, fair, but Betty Davis's amazing charm is being dropped at gorgeous and then being kind of bitchy. She's yeah. Clary all yeah. day. Yeah, it, it's just the combination of Catherine yeah. and Betty as Weezer and Clary, because that's the best duo ever. But I want Catherine, I want grumpy Catherine Hepburn. That's what I yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she does have this sort of like air about her that she mm-hmm. always sort of carries her, like even in her later like even as her later movies but like I mean I'm like I'm trying to picture the timeline and like what Catherine Hepburn where she was at this point on Golden Pond that's her oh, that's her yeah that's yeah, her. yeah that's right yeah but like five years later too but five yeah. but like Close enough yeah I'm just like <sighs> here's the thing I, I wouldn't take her over Shirley MacLaine <laughs> no I mean Shirley MacLaine's the fucking best I wouldn't take her over Shirley MacLaine or Olympia Dukakis like no. honestly like never I mean those no, two I know. are so good they're treasures they're treasures they are treasures all right well we start Sally Field as Malin before this she was in Gidget the flying nun stay hungry Sybil Smokey and the Bandit Cooper, Norma Ray, Smoking the Bandit 2, Absence of Malice, Places in the Heart, Punchline. After this, Not Without My Daughter, Soap Dish, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, Mrs. Doubtfire, Forrest Gump, Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco, Where the Heart Is, Legally Blonde 2, Brothers and Sisters, The Amazing Spider-Man, Lincoln, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Hello, My Name is Doris, Maniac, Dispatches from Elsewhere. She's been in so much and in so many movies that I love. She's been in just so much. I, I loved Brothers and Sisters. That was a great TV show. I liked the Homeward Bound, incredible, the Incredible Journey, <laughs> and also Soap Dish. Homeward really... Bound made me cry every single fucking time. I as mean, a kid. every it... time I thought those dogs were dead, and then they came <laughs> over the hill, and I was sobbing every oh, damn God, time, every single time, weeping. I don't like movies where animals, like live action animals, are supposedly talk. Animated animals talking, I'm here for it. But live action animals supposedly talking, I don't give two shits. I mean, at least they didn't do the like the animatronic stuff with it because yeah. they didn't have the technology. So in that one, it literally just like they matched the bark with the voice sure. work. Yeah, no, no. Like, yeah, like I just I'm not here for it. Like, and I I like animal movies, White Thing. I love mm-hmm. that. 
This movie, I don't, I don't care about those. Films. Oh no, it got me. It got me. Oh yeah, no, every every time he comes over the hill, like, and it's like, oh, he's he didn't make it. it was too far. I know. Sorry. Anyway, totally <sighs> off track. I but I've also wanted like a Burmese cat because of um sassy in mm-hmm. oh, sure. because of Sally Field's cat. Sally Field's cat. Yeah, sassy, sassy. So what do we think about Sally Field in this? Oh my god. She's so good. This is one of those the culmination of all the other things you've done roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this is her taking all this stuff that she's done over the years and consolidating it into this single movie. Mm-hmm. It's so natural. Mm-hmm. It's so effortless in a way. Um but not not in that graceful way because her character isn't supposed to be that. She's just a no. mom, a she desperate is. mom who's trying to figure out what to do. I, I like how messy she is. She yeah. is. Me- I was going to say messy, too. But there's like an interesting quietness about her, too, mm-hmm. in a lot of the scenes, which I find really compelling. Like she's she finds a lot in the stillness and the looks, especially when she I'm thinking to like the Christmas scene mm-hmm. when she goes silent and everybody's yeah. like, I'd be happy. She's and she's just that. like, oh, she's trying not to say that thing. She doesn't want to say the mean thing about like, I'm I'm scared for you. Yeah. Like she's trying not to say, I'm disappointed. I'm scared. I don't Mm -hmm. want this for you because of course she does want her daughter to have all this happiness. She wants her to have all these things, but the mom thing is coming in being like, these are all the things that could go wrong. These are all the horrible things that could happen. Everything. That's what she's like. She's trying not to mom all over her. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's Sally Fields thing too. Mm -hmm. Like it's the, Sally Field has always been because of Gidget and the Flying Nun. It's yeah. just like petite, cute woman. Mm-hmm. And she spent her entire career being like, I'm also going to be the most emotionally badass woman you've ever yeah. seen. She's a spitfire. In every role. Starting with Norma Ray and all the way through just goes, you are going to see me and think something and you are going to realize that I am so much stronger than you could ever imagine. That all the time. And this is no different. <laughs> and then later in the cemetery, oh, when God. she's like, when she's like, she's just, she's still trying to, she's like, she's processing. And then she's trying to be like sweet and respectful. And then she's just had it. I'm so mad. I don't know what to do. I want to know why. I want to know why Shelby's life is over. I want to know how that baby will ever know how wonderful his mother was. Will he ever know what she went through for him? Oh God, I want to know why. Yeah, she's just like, she lets it go. Like, I'm fucking sick of this bullshit because I'm mad and I'm pissed the fuck off. And I just want to hit something. <laughs> yeah. And then we get we get all this catharsis and then we get the funniest fucking joke. Here, hit Weezer. <laughs> God, it's so good. It is. It's great. It's great. It's per- it's perfection. It's this tension that, I mean, that's also in the script. I mean, it's the script, but in everybody plays it so well. And especially yeah. Sally Field, it's like, well, so this was, this is a kind of interesting thing. And this sort of brings into the like direction of it and everything like that. There's that whole scene that goes from Shelby's collapse to the, you know, her, her getting hospitalized mm-hmm. and all of that. And it's almost completely silent the whole time. Cause mm-hmm. that's not in the play script at all. I mean, it's because sure. you can't show that. And it's mostly Sally Fields, like, you know, gathering things, waiting on Shelby. And it's a, all of these like really quiet moments mm-hmm. and it's quiet. She's quiet through the funeral and she's quiet up until this moment. And then just letting it 
all oh, go in the yep. cemetery and or in the you know at the funeral and all letting it just out loud and screaming and yelling and then just i mean just seeing this whole range and this build like this buildup of all this tent oh it's just it's played so well she yeah. has the single hardest role in the whole thing Oh yeah. Well, and for the rest of, I mean, for the most of the rest of the play, she's essentially the straight man. I mean, quote the straight man of the show, like Mm -hmm. everybody else has the, like, is you've got these big personalities with Clarie and Weezer and, and even like NNL and Truvy, Mm -hmm. even Shelby, even Shelby has her. So like Malin has to be the, like the calm one through all of this. And so she doesn't get her moment until the very end of it. She has to bounce off of all of these characters, mm-hmm. and she's like she doesn't so much go on a journey because mm-hmm. they all do. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> we're, we're going we're going through time, and we all have we all experience this thing. But she's the one who we see. She we don't see anything different from her. We just she's mom. She's mom. She's mom. She's mom. Yeah. Book. Her whole journey has to happen in the background. Yes, she is a reflection of everybody else until the thing that she reflects the most, her daughter, is no longer there. Yeah. And then it's just her. Yeah. The most amazing part about her performance, she she makes us see every bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. She's, I mean, she's amazing. The producers thought people would not believe that Sally Field would be the mother to a 22-year-old child. Sally Field was 43 when they filmed this movie. Yeah. She, but she's so young looking. I know she, she is. Oh, so she's I, I, I get it. I producers are dumb yeah i mean she looks so young yeah she does it's true they're like hey you look young lady take it enjoy it (laughs) and to be fair julia roberts looks like in because she's i mean partly because she's so tall but also like she's got those like very sort of angular features Mm -hmm. she looks a lot older for 19 or 20 yeah then like but um sally feel had to point out that her actual son her first son Mm -hmm. peter craig was close to 22 in fact he turned 20 when the film premiered (laughs) i am an actual mother of a 20 year old (laughs) i can see sally field standing up to a producer and being like like fuck uh -uh, off fuck you (laughs) (laughs) like thank you for the compliment also fuck you give me give me the job (laughs) what's so cool about steel magnolias and i and i think you don't you still it still doesn't show up i mean that's such a heart that 40 year old age range like late 30s to like early 50s maybe Mm -hmm. is such a hard such a hard age in hollywood for actors because there's almost no roles for women that age after 32 yeah you can be be young 30s or you're 50 yeah nobody knows how to write that stuff they don't write women who are 40 No. no they don't and if they do you're married to some guy who's 55. And if you're 40, you're crying because your baby just went off to college or you're mm-hmm. getting divorced. Those are the only things that happen to you when you turn 40. Yeah, exactly. You're a sitcom mom if you're lucky. Or you're having your change of life baby. That's what's happening to you when you're 40. Those are the only things that are allowed to happen to you when you turn 40, <sighs> which is great because I'm almost 38. Thanks. <laughs> Not in this movie, damn it. I know. But like, but you like look at, say, like even now, like Jennifer Lawrence's career, who like she was 16 and she was playing young high school girls. And then all of a sudden she's like playing mothers and like and she's playing like 35 year old characters and she's like in her 20s. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, cool. Great. <laughs> Perfect. Love that. That Zero makes sense. Yeah. I, I always get really excited when I see a movie 
with a guy who's an actor who's in his mid 40s and they cast a woman who I know to be in her late 30s to mid 40s. Yeah. I'm like, who is an appropriate age in real life for them to be dating. Correct. Like, this makes me happy. I don't want to shit on people. Like, you just meet people, whatever, fine. If you are serially dating someone who's 20 years older than you, you're a creep. Mm -hmm. Whatever. It happens. But whenever I see that, when I'm like, that guy's almost 50, and they cast a woman who's 45, good for them. (laughs) I get really excited. It's that believability thing. Like, you're like, oh, I reasonably see that in your friend circle, you all have a similar age and would have actually met in real life. Yeah. You know? Like, there's a difference of going out of your way or just being in a place and circumstance. But, like, for most people, it's going to be someone within your same age range. If your next door neighbor is 15 years younger than you, okay, but please establish that for me. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, they never do. No, it's just like, how do you know this person? Okay, there. If we just explained it, goddammit. It's not hard. Hollywood, just do better. Yeah. So having like uh, Steel Magnolias with that script and like also and like having Truvy being, you know, because Dolly Parton is not she's in her. I don't I didn't actually check to see how old she was when she filmed, but she was probably also she's 75 now. So like also in her backwards math 40s. Yeah, she's about she'd been mid 40s. Yeah, yeah, she would have been in that age range, that weird Mm -hmm. pocket. Uh, well, speaking of Dolly, who plays Truvy Jones, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about her credit. She's fucking Dolly Parton. She's Dolly Parton, and she's perfect. <laughs> she's perfect mm-hmm. in every way, except for Herbert Ross reprimanded her after a bad take and asked her if she could act. Her reply was, no, but it's your job to make me look like I can. <laughs> Love you, Dolly. Don't fuck, fuck with yeah, Dolly. Dolly. Why well, don't know, Herbert? <laughs> Maybe you all tell me how I should act. You're supposed to make me look like I can. <laughs> what fucking love that woman. I she's I she, and like I can't think of anybody better for Truvy. Like there's I mean Elizabeth Taylor doesn't ha- like she would have been too polished. She's too polished. And she doesn't have she's no, don't get me wrong. Elizabeth Taylor can be funny as fuck, but like she but there's something about Dolly's like Dolly has like a heart to endearing. Her. She's endearing. Elizabeth yeah. Taylor's not endearing. She's no. not, Elizabeth Taylor's not the person I want to tell him my dirty secrets to. Dolly Parton is. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Truvy's got to be a little messy. Yeah. Like there's something about Truvy's place is that mm-hmm. it's not a fancy place. And no. that's not, that's not shitting on it. It's not, it's, but it's, it's not a fancy salon. She tells us right away. It was built out of necessity. <laughs> exactly. So Truvy is a scrappy person. She's yeah. A lovely person. But also her philosophy is there's no such thing as as natural beauty. So good. Which is like also like this is fucked up, but in the best way. Mm-hmm. Like it takes a lot of work to look like this. Oh, I believe it. Which also is <laughs> oh like, my God. which is also like the greatest Dolly Parton like branding ever. Because <laughs> how many times she's just like, cost a lot of money to look this cheap. Yeah. <laughs> she says that all the time. That's her like, brand. I, I know. I love it so much. Just unabashed femininity and like. And Dolly has that in like a Delta Burke shirt. She's got that endearing quality. It's the Southern. It's the Southern. It's the Southern. It also too, like you you talk about that heart. That character has to be 
one, you're right. You have to believe that they would be confessional enough and you would be willing to share stuff because it wouldn't be spread for harm. I mean, she's mm-hmm, a gossip, right. but she's mm-hmm. not going to gossip if it's going to cause harm to you with other people. Right. She's trustworthy in that sense, but she's also just kind and wants to help everyone. Mm-hmm. She keeps candy in the drawer for Shelby. Like, and you know that she's had that in there since Shelby was a kid coming in with Melin to get Melin set. Like, that's the kind yep. of person that Truvy is. Yep. And like, that's every hair stylist ever. Like, your hair person is essentially another therapist. That's something like you learn and they talk about in school is it like these are the people you see these people through the big events through the small Mm -hmm. events you hear about what's going on in their love lives you hear what's going on with their kids they tell you like if you're the hairstylist you get told everything and so Truvy has to feel like somebody that you would tell anything to that's That's Dolly Dolly. and dying a hundred cartons of eggs to put in the back of a <laughs> a car oh, to go take to an Easter thing. That, that hurts my soul. It hurts my soul. Plastic eggs are there for a reason. In the eighties, gross. <laughs> All right. Next, we've got Shirley MacLaine as Weezer Boudreaux. I mean, we've talked about her before. We talked about her with the apartment, which stands as the best movie David has ever made me watch ever. In the, oh, the apartment is very good. Yeah, it's the best movie he's ever made me watch ever. Ever, <laughs> uh, but we talked about her there, and we also talked about her in this series with Terms of Endearment. Oh, Terms of Endearment, not yeah. the greatest movie, but she's freaking she's awesome in it. <gasps> she's just so damn good. I mean, she's just she's so, so fucking great. Like, it's just that's it's like this role was made for her, absolutely. Yeah, it is so fun. <laughs> she's <laughs> just she's so. Fun. And I just look at this role as like, I want to, I want to play Weezer Boudreaux. Right. Mm-hmm. You can tell she's having the best time of her life playing so it too. So much fun. Much fun. She's getting out so much personal aggression in her yeah. life. Exactly. You were having so much fun, except for maybe that dog who might be annoying her. But oh my God, that she's having so much fun. Like, and it's and the physicality of the role of like just everything flying and like her like there is nothing graceful about this woman whatsoever and like throwing herself everywhere like slumping down into chairs and just like she there's something kind of like masculine about quote unquote like that is really like it's it's fun to play those roles it's fun to get to be like take up space in a way that you don't often get to you know it's funny it is reminiscent of Fran from the apartment in that because in that movie, she is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say masculine, but she does a lot of physical comedy. Mm-hmm. Oh, she does. You know, that was, I think, the thing that was so interesting and endearing about her early on in her career was that people were like, oh, she's like a full on comedian she, along mm-hmm. with she's a being, clown. along with being able to also be a very serious actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in this movie, it's. It's a similar thing. She finally gets to do that clowning part with it too, which she's so good at. She's so good at it. It's perfect. It's just great. It's and she gets all these great lines and she gets the best lines. So mm-hmm. much. She gets to she she steals all of her scenes just by being a grouch. I love when the ladies go to the church just to snoop on her. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I'm gonna go see the dude. I'm gonna go see my dude. And then she's like, fuck. <laughs> Everybody. 
Well, I love that she goes, fuck, and then goes, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not telling you bitches shit about fuck. Because <laughs> everything that's going on, I it's love it. It's this, like, one second of panic, and then, like, ah, forget it, I don't care about any of you anyway. <laughs> Secrets out, who gives a fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so next we have someone we have not talked about in a very, very long time. It's true. It's Daryl Hannah as Anel Dupuis de Soto. So before this, she was in The Fury, Blade Runner, Reckless, Splash, The Pope of Greenwich Village, The Clan of the Cave Bear, Legal Eagles, Roxanne, Wall Street, Crimes and Misdemeanors. And then after this, at Play in the Fields of the Lord, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Grumpy Old Men, The Little Rascals, Grumpier Old Men, My Favorite Martian, Dancing at the Blue Iguana, A Walk to Remember, Kill Bill Volume 1, Kill Bill Volume 2, Hot Flashes, and Sense 8. What do we think about Daryl Hannah? I, I like getting to see her stretch. Yeah. In a, in a lot of ways. Daryl Hannah has always been a bit of a femme fatale because, yeah. one, she is she has the tall model look, and then two, she does have some angular features that have always, I mean, the reason Blade Runner was her big breakout was because she had those model looks with that sense of danger. Mm -hmm. And that's the role she almost always gets cast in. Mm -hmm. She gets to be a full on character and show some range. And she's funny. She She is is funny. Especially when we come back for Christmas and she is full on decked out now. Mm -hmm. She has gotten rid of that awful man and she feels safe. And then (laughs) she's gotten a little slutty, a little bit, but then she goes way hard to the Jesus. (laughs) I love, love what is it? Like, well, she could, she either could have gone to church revival or she could have gone to New Orleans with me and a couple other sinners. I guess she took a wrong turn. (laughs) My favorite, my favorite of the whole thing is when Weezer calls her out and she gives a retort back to Weezer and Clary's like, oh, good for you, honey. Oh, you had it in you, honey. They were like, we've been waiting so long for you. Yes, Anel, I pray. Well, I do. There, I said it. I hope you're satisfied. I have suspected this all along. Oh, well, don't you expect me to come to one of your churches? One of those tent revivals with all those Bible beaters doing God only knows what. They'd probably make me eat a live chicken. (laughs) Not on your first visit. Very good, Anel. Spoken like a true smart ass. You know, honestly, like Anel is for the stage play version of this too. Anel has one of the hardest tracks to do because she has such wild shifts. Everybody else, like Malin, you've kind of got that build of like being the straight person and then it builds and builds and builds into like that big emotional scene at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to keep all of that, you know, going. But with Anel, you're up, you're down, you're like, the, you're kind of slutty. You're like quiet Bible Anel. You're like shy, nervous Anel. Like a you're different also person like, every scene you come into. Completely, di- it's almost like it's almost like she's like taking bits and pieces of the mm-hmm. personalities of the women around her, but like also some, but also like her own thing. Mm-hmm. And and there's not really a strong progression. So you have to make these big leaps mm-hmm. as an actor. And so as as a stage, like on for the stage play, it's like a and even in the movie, because of mm-hmm. the time jumps, it's a bonkers role. Mm-hmm. Until the very end when she pulls it all together. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's wild. It's like she's going through her second puberty. 
Oh, it's a, yeah, exactly. That's, a, that's exactly what's happening. She's like, I don't know what's happening. I'm doing this today. I'm doing that today. Whatever. Cool. Whatever. Okay. Oh, okay. Now we've figured this out. Mm-hmm. It's a huge showcase for an actress who doesn't typically get those kinds of roles. Not at all. She was originally turned down for the role of Anel. Oh. Herbert Ross thought she was too attractive. And so she asked if she could come in and read for the part anyways. And the next day she arrived at the studio dressed as Anel and was so unrecognizable that security refused to let her in. Amazing. That's a testament right there. She did the thing where she's like, she dressed up for the part and was like, okay. Like at first I wanted to roll my eyes at that because I thought we were going to the, you know, it's Daryl Hannah. So we're going to take the glasses off and pull the hair down and now she's going to be gorgeous. And they didn't do that. Mm -mm. And she gets to showcase her talent. And that's what made it perfect throughout the rest of the film. Mm hmm. All right, next we have Olympia Dukakis as Clary Belcher. <laughs> Perfect. We know who Olympia Dukakis is. We talked about her in Moonstruck because she's the shit. She's so the, good. She's the shit. The shit. May she rest oh in peace. We lost her earlier this year. That's right. I was yeah. real sad. I was bummed. Again, perfect. Like, there's not, like, there's, huh, there, she's Clary. She is, like, silly. Like, because Clarice's like a silly woman, essentially. She is. But like, there's something kind of grand and Southern and like mm-hmm. also kind of mean. And it's like, you kind of, but you cheeky. love it. And you're she's like, cheeky. It's cheeky. That's good. Like when she's mean, she, you know, she's like just ribbing you because she likes you. Yeah. And, and which is very different from when Weezer's being mean to you, which is like, oh, she's just a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> the first second we see Clary, I'm worried that we're going to play into the stereotype of mm-hmm. she's going to think she's classier than all these women. And then you find out very quickly, no, she plays that because that is her role within the community. Yes. But she lets that guard down immediately. And probably some of the best stuff she does is when she talks about her family and we, and because she's like, they look like a bunch of fucking white bread. <laughs> like yeah. they look like a little white bread and this shiny, smiling, happy. And then we find out a scene later that the son's gay. Yep. The daughter's on Coke. <laughs> like they're all a fucking mess. And it's that perfect thing of, she knows that it's all a show. Yeah. So she plays the show when she's mm-hmm. supposed to. And then with her friend, she's like, yeah, I don't give a shit about any no. of this. I love it. I love it's it. why she hangs out with Weezer is because like, she's like, I could be Weezer. And so I look good in comparison to Weezer. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> actually, Weezer and I are the same person. Oh, that they're just two peas in a pod. But yeah. Clary is clearly going like, I'm surprised at you talking about your kin that way. As somebody always said, if you can't say anything nice about anybody, come sit by me. <laughs> Love that line. All right. Next, we have Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. Uh, Shelby Eaton Lottery. We've talked about her before. She was previously in the series on Mystic Pizza. Ooh. And then, you know, we've talked about her. So she's Julia Roberts. She's Julia Roberts. Y'all know what she's been in. I'm not going to read all her fucking credits there's eight thousand of them what do we think about julie roberts i gotta say the interesting thing was watching this coming off pretty fresh on mystic pizza Mm -hmm. and comparing those two roles this is the film she did right after mystic pizza i know there is both something more refined in what she's done here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also a little bit tentative 
too. Some of that's the character. They are two very different characters. And yeah. in Mystic Pizza, she is bold and brash Julia Roberts. And she is like on-brand Julia Roberts mm-hmm. strong character. And in this, she is playing a much softer character mm-hmm. with a lot of strong will. Yeah. So this is written way better for her than Mystic Pizza was. Definitely. And that that I think is the biggest thing is, is it's a much better script. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think where that timidness comes in is probably because the stakes for this character are real. So and real. They're very yeah. real. She's She's got like real life shit. Like it's not just, oh, I'm getting married and I want to make my husband happy. It's like, oh, I have something that could kill me. But, you know, I just want to make him happy. And, oh, I had a baby. Oh, um, now I got a good kidney. Oh, my mom's going to give me a kidney. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the stakes for her in this movie are very, very high. Yes. It could have been a real disaster on that mm-hmm. front. Like, it could have been very much played in that ingenue. It's just like, I just want to make him happy. And instead, it's the Julia Robertsness mm-hmm. of it is very convincing and being like, she doesn't want to spend her life trying to just manage. True. Right. And she's she's very willed in that sense of she could just mm-hmm. live a life, be safe, sure, make mm-hmm. the safe decisions, and know that she's going to probably live a full mm-hmm. life. Sure. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want that. Yeah. Right. And that scene with her and Sally Field in the mm-hmm. dinner room, mm-hmm. it's like, yes, there is a little bit of that social pressure, but mm-hmm. there's also just this thing of she wants her own kid. I yeah. want this. Yeah. Like, I I was very nervous watching that scene again about the whole adoption conversation. Like, ooh, is this going to hold up? It's like, no, it really does because yeah. adoption's amazing and wonderful, but it doesn't cure the desire to have a biological child when you're when you're not able to. It doesn't. And that's really not the greatest suggestion to someone who's struggling with infertility. So there's that. Um, So I was like, oh, I really do love that. Like that need is still being talked about here. Mm -hmm. And I think that in that moment, there's still that sense that to her, she knows I could die and it'd be worth it. And it would be worth it. It'd be worth it. That's, that's what you get from, from her character. Yeah. It's it's just interesting because in in Mystic Pizza it is all very surface toughness mm-hmm. brassiness and in this all that toughness is internalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say there's like this core strength to Julia Roberts in this role where it's like she like it it with I think with Shelby a lot of times too you it's so easy to cast her as like this sweet Southern girl who just wants to make her like you said like ingenue type who make her husband happy. And Julie Roberts can certainly play that to a certain degree because she's got those doe eyes and that like just big beautiful smile and everything. Yeah. But there's this like core of strength, and that's also where the title like steel. Mag- I mean, they're the mm-hmm. steel magnolias. Like they yep. have to, all of them have to have that core of steel running through them. And I think you see that in Julia Roberts' performance in a way that like that just works. And it also I think like makes her feel older than like honest feel older than nineteen. And you know. Because she's already in her or older than twenty, and that that like yeah. maturity, <laughs> you don't get it at first. Like Mm-mm. you really in those first scenes when she's talking, my colors are blush and bashful, and you're almost sitting there like part of me is like, are, are you off on your accent? Are you wavering? And then as you go along. 
part of it is that you immediately get pulled in by the insulin shock scene. Mm -hmm. But then along the way, you then start to understand, okay, now I have a grounding on this character. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I have that foothold and understanding, all of the rest of it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's where it falls into place. And so it's, it is hard at first because you, you almost have this feeling of like, are you still figuring things out? Because a 19 year old actress playing phases of adulthood, you're going, you might be off in some parts here, but she's not. There's a whole lot going on there, and it's just hard to see right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do have set, uh, some who could have been betters for Shelby. Uh-huh. Well, of course, they were going to look for anybody. Meg Ryan was Ooh. initially under contract. Meg Ryan is just about as good as that. I know. That's not bad. Ooh. She was initially under contract. To play Shelby, but the producers let her out so she could go be in When Harry Met Sally. Well, uh, well okay. okay. Can't be mad about that. No, we didn't. No. You know what? That's a fair trade. That's a fair trade. <laughs> you know, I'm not mad about that. We got, two really good, we got two really great performances and really great movies out of that combo. So, like, yeah. but ooh, that would have been interesting. But necessary yeah. performance Meg, over there. Meg Ryan is pretty doggone good. She's amazing. Winona Ryder was originally offered the role of Shelby. And although the producers were charmed by her, they ultimately considered her too young for the part, which is interesting because she's about two and a half years younger than Julia. Like Heather's came out a year before this. I mean, Uh her type is so different from this. Well, and then Beetlejuice. So different. Yeah. Right. Oh God. You know, honestly, it's, she has a strong core, but it is way more flexible and wiggly than steel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is not as strong-willed a performer, Mm-mm. which is not a knock on her mm-hmm. at no. all. It's just a, she's not right for this role. <laughs> I also just can't see her like pulling off that like, my colors are blushing. Like she's not that. She could no. not. She could like, never. You do, I and maybe it's just because she. I like know her from Beetlejuice and from like Heather's and stuff like that. I just she's not the. I just can't picture her being like pink is my signature color. Like she is the goth ingenue. You're not gonna yeah. pull off sweet Southern girl with her. Mm-hmm. No. All right. Next we've got Tom Skerritt as Drum Eatonton. We've talked about him before in Harold and Maude. Yep. <laughs> Some motorcycle cop for two seconds. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yep. He was an Arpon in that. So uh, his credits are MASH, Harold and Maude, Thieves Like Us, The Devil's Reign, The Turning Point, Up in Smoke, Alien, The Dead Zone, Top Gun, Space Camp, Poltergeist 3. After this, he was in The Rookie, A River Runs Through It, Singles, Picket Fences, Contact, Smoke Signals, The Other Sister, Tears of the Sun, White Out, Ted, a Hologram for the King, and Lucky. In this, uh, I mean, he's he's slightly more than an Arpon because, you know, he's got lines and shit. <laughs> he has like an emotional moment. He is in this movie. He is in this movie for real. He's very good. He's entertaining when he's supposed to be entertaining. He doesn't pull focus. I like him. I, li- I like him. I, re- I, I really like the whole, you know, when he has to walk her down the aisle and she cannot hear anymore. Not a God, damn so- thing. <laughs> I mean, he's been shooting a shotgun at his trees for like three days. So. The best chemistry he has in this movie, though, is with Shirley MacLaine. Oh, like, yeah. uh, it's not with anybody like his chemistry with sure his chemistry with like Sally Field. Fine, whatever. Yeah. They have some cute moments, but like the real chemistry is 
with Shirley MacLaine mm-hmm. and Weezer and Drum and uh, they're like bickering. It's just, yeah. it's so good. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It felt like it should have been in the play. Every time he growls at that dog. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love him antagonizing that dog. It's great. Oh, it's so funny. He always like, I, because I can't get him out of my head from Top Gun. Like I never will. Because Top Gun was the movie I memorized backwards and forwards for so long. Mm-hmm. But like that role has always indicated him as very strong and steely, narrow mm-hmm. eyes, and being like, I see something in you, but uh, but you're a wild card. Like that's that's the role he almost always gets in things. Yeah. And in this, he gets to let that whole guard down. Yeah. He's so goofy. While at the same time getting, I mean, you know, he has the hard, hard part of being in that hospital room and having to be the dad that's like, I can't watch. I have to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't do this. He's got to go take care of the sons. Like, that's what they mm-hmm. relegate him to, which is fine because it's really about mom. And yeah. then like husband has to be there because if he's not, then that's a whole thing. Yeah. But it's it's all about what they do, which I think was smart, is that like the brothers are there because they should be. And then dad. So dad's job is to take care of the the brothers. Yeah. Because they're still young. They youngish. are. So like, I kind of like that, like at the funeral and then at the hospital, like that's dad's job. And like mom's job is to fall apart. And husband's job is like, fuck. <laughs> I just appreciate that they didn't make him dumb, goofy dad. Yeah. Yeah. He's not just an idiot. They mm-hmm. added a little complexity, which made it so much more real. <laughs> Well, it's that scene when they're, you know, right the night before the surgery Mm -hmm. when, like, they're all, like, sitting around and shooting the shit and making jokes of, like, making friends. He gets so mad and they're thinking it's hilarious. And I was like, but that's that's what stupid kids do. I mean, like, that that reminds me of times when me and my siblings have done stuff like that. And then it's like mom, like, mom and dad, like, one parent is thinking it's hilarious and the other one is just like, y'all are ridiculous like they're not mad but they're just like what is wrong with y'all it's like this is y'all's fault y'all made us this is y'all's fault mm-hmm. like this is the yeah it's the perfect match of that of that heart hilarious in this movie mm-hmm. yeah because you both get just the jokes are top-notch landing yeah <laughs> they're bad jokes that are super funny they're funny but then his reaction is also so sweet yeah because you yeah. know it's coming from a place of i am terrified stop this yeah but well because at the same time it's like the kids like, like you know the boys are forgetting like you could lose both of them yeah it's, it's not yeah. just wine it's both it's both both yeah we next we have dylan mcdermott as jackson latchery before this he was on hamburger hill and the blue iguana after this, he was in Hardware, where Sleeping Dogs Lie, In the Line of Fire, Miracle on 34th Street, the 1994 oh. version, Destiny Turns on the Radio, Till There Was You, The Practice on television, Party Monster, Wonderland, American Horror Story, the Perks of Being a Wallflower, Olympus Has Fallen, Automata, and The Clove Hitch Killer. What do we think about Dylan McDermott? He's so pretty. <laughs> he really is pretty. When he, when he climbs to that window, I told him, like, he is just an 80s Ken doll. I had that Ken doll. He's very attractive. And that's we it. were like, whoa. Yeah. And then like coming out of the 90s, I mean, in the practice, he was still 90s attractive. But yeah. like now uh-huh. that he's started to gray up a little bit, Ooh, it's gotten it's gotten yeah. really good. <gasps> but holy crap, like young Dylan McDermott, you're like, OK, OK. <laughs> no, I've just always like Miracle on 34th Street in the 94, like had it. I oh, God, I wanted to do dirty, dirty things. <laughs> Like he's just, uh, I mean, he's just really attractive. Yeah, he is. He is 
Bale's an attractive man. He's and like, very he's attractive a fine man. actor. See, I mean, he's fine. That Ken doll got around. <laughs> I had that Ken doll. He was very slutty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, that ch- that checks, frankly. The, honestly, J- Jackson doesn't get a whole heck of a lot to do, no. frankly. But he's fine. And I also, I like he's that fine. he's... He's pretty. He's He's pretty, but I also like that he's that what they give him is very like i love you and i don't care about the kid stuff mm-hmm. and, and that's fine i i appreciate they had him actually say that right. to her and then you know then later we don't hear anything from him other than you know we find out that he's just happy because of course he's just happy because all the mm-hmm. lines is to, you know he's just gonna be happy about things so and then you know he's appropriately devastated because of course he should be and mm-hmm. that's okay and then I like, I like at the end, we see him, you know, taking their son, you know, to the Easter egg. So it's like, you know, life goes on. Yeah. It's what you do. It's okay. Yeah. It's again, just those, those little bits of complexity that they, that they add to a minor character like that mm-hmm. help make the whole thing work so much better. Yeah. And last, but certainly not least, we have Sam Shepard as Spud Jones. Sam Shepard, he's a playwright of some renown. Yeah, just, just a little <laughs> of bit. Of some that renown? Guy? No idea. I think he's fucking overrated as hell. I hate Sam Shepard. I think he's a really good character actor. He's great as Spud. I I really do like him. But I, I like him as a character actor and stuff. I just do. I liked him in the right stuff. I know you hate that movie. I really like him as Chuck Yeager. I think he really pulled off Chuck Yeager as a character. Here's the thing about Spud in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't remember him. Mm. his scenes are pointless i know they're not pointless Mm -hmm. but they fall flat that's fair they are the weakest scenes of the men's the scenes with louis are more dynamic than the scenes with spud i don't like i understand we're supposed to get the sense that like truly feels disconnected to him and, Mm -hmm. and like she like like i get that but they're not interesting and they're not well done and sam shepherd I don't think provides me anything of interest <laughs> in those scenes. It's all Dolly. She's the only part I remember of any of those scenes. It's like, oh yeah, that dude's there. You could literally put anybody else in that scene and tell me like, oh no, it's actually this guy. And I'd be like, oh yeah, cool. Mm. He makes no impact. I just, I don't agree at all. Okay. <sighs> Look, we don't agree on Sam Shepard, period. Me and you, for sure. Correct. We never have. We never <laughs> um, but I totally get your point on that. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. Because I do think there is a level of that. On the other hand, I think that his match to Dolly being such a vibrant character, mm-hmm. the one thing that his aloofness and forgettableness does provide is the sense that how could anyone be disconnected from Dolly fucking Parton? <laughs> yeah. Not 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 be charmed and he manages to pull that off. You believe that somehow he has gotten super cold and mm-hmm. distant from this woman who is a fountain of charm. And light and brightness and like just infuses everything with the, this energy. And he just kind of, there's almost something about him like sucking the life out of the scene with her. And it's like, I feel like it works for the role. Like, and for what it's telling, the story that it's telling with Truvy, because if we didn't get those scenes, we wouldn't get a whole heck of a lot with Truvy. She's this, you know. She's a filter in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah. I will say this. I think what we're missing is the reason why they have grown apart. 
we never talk about that. And that's in that's a script thing. But there is no indication as to why that happened. To me, had that been there and a grounding been there, I think it might have made a little more sense. I mean, if they had given us a little bit more of seeing the disconnection, it may have helped. But it, we all we only just get a couple lines from her about it. Hmm. It's yeah. It's just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, our pawns. Our Ran- pawns. Random people of no, these are people who just kind of like popped up randomly in the film. So we've got Janine Turner plays Nancy Beth Marmillion. I've uh, seen her in Cliffhanger and Northern Exposure. Robert Ginevan as Mayor Van Meter. Mentioned him because he was in Bessel Whorehouse as a reporter. Oh. Uh-huh. And then Rick Hurst as Bark Boone, uh, which you know him as Cletus Hogg from Dukes of Hazard. Uh, These are random people of note. Uh, so it's time for trivia. 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 The cemetery scene was filmed in one take. <gasps> yeah. That's impressive. My guess is they're talking about the Sally Field bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. That's what yeah. the note says. I'm I'm guessing that's what they're talking uh-huh. about. Dolly Parton and Daryl Hannah studied hairstylists so that their hairstyling scenes would look authentic and particular, you know, because they have to do the, the work while they're standing there. Every actress who plays one of those roles has to do that, like at, at, on stage in particular, because because it's again all taking place in the salon. They actually have to know what they're doing, or at least can go through the motions. Well sure. Enough. And yeah. No, as a as somebody who just graduated from beauty school, I'm like, oh my God, that's yep, that's that technique. That's exactly like they were even pulling the rollers out correctly. Yeah. Which was like, okay, all right, look at y'all. <laughs> and the thing is, like for the movie, they don't like it's good to know a little bit, but like because they can do cuts and things like that, you you almost don't have to know quite as much for a movie mm-hmm. as you do because you stage. can kind of like film around it and like do film tricks but the stage you can't you have to you have no. to be able to do ahead you have to yeah. be able to do it yeah that was my biggest com- one of my biggest complaints about warren Beatty and shampoo like that man could not cut like shitty bangs if he tried he just <laughs> that man does not know what he he can't even pretend to be a hairstylist he's mm-hmm. so bad and he's I mean, supposed to be the greatest hairstylist in la uh... it makes me so mad this film was shot in nacogdoches louisiana Reportedly, the filmmakers made so many demands of the locals, particularly those who volunteered to be extras, that when the film Man in the Moon shot in the same town in 1991, the extras were very hard to find. <laughs> oh. Like nobody wanted to like be extras. <laughs> nah, I'm wow. doing that again. <laughs> I'm just going to eat my gumbo. What's <laughs> All right, and now I have some um, trivia that made me cry. <laughs> I'm going to go away. See you guys later. Uh, I already hey, know this. Hey. Okay, so this is based on a real-life experience of our writer, Robert Harlan. So the nurse that removes Shelby from life support is the actual nurse that removed Robert Harling's sister, Susan, from life support. Are you kidding? I am oh. not kidding. Um, oh, Wait. All of the people who were playing doctors in the hospital are actual nurses and doctors because I thought it was very important to like have them like actual do do the things. It gets worse. It, how does it? I, uh, it, gets, it gets worse. Okay. Like in a really sweet way, but this fucking right. thing, 
This, this, is, made, this is going this, to wreck you in the best way. This okay. Made me cry. This made me cry. Okay. Robert Harling's mother was on set during the filming of the scenes while Shelby was in the hospital. During the scene when Shelby is taken off light support, she was asked if she wanted to leave. She declined, <laughs> saying that once the scene was over, she wanted to see Shelby, Julia Roberts, get up and walk away. Oh my God. I know. That's <laughs> horrible. It makes me cry now. I know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I know. You can hear us oh. sobbing right now. Oh, that's no. that's both awful and both so sweet at I the know. same time. Like, why would you put yourself through that? But also, I get it. I, I totally, totally get it. it. Yeah, I get yeah. it. But I oh get God. it. <laughs> my heart. <laughs> what? Like, oh my God. We've had some wild trivia on this show. We really have. I mean, we talked about haunted James Bond shit. We talked about the Johnny Cash theme song for James Bond. All sorts of Rocky shit. That's that's the hardest piece of trivia we've ever done on this show. Oh my god! And like, it's one of those like that's so sweet and like in a weird, beautiful way. It's beautiful. It is, it is beautiful, but oh, I have one more. No, no. I mean, oh, yes, please, but in, oh. in a beautiful, poetic way. Uh huh. When Robert Harling last spoke to his sister, he was telling her how hard he was to be a writer in New York City and have people consider his work. She said she wished she could help him somehow, but she didn't know what she could do. No. Oh. And then she died after her surgery and he wrote this play. That. (laughs) What the. That he wrote for her in honor for her. Which established him as a respectable writer. It established his whole career. It gave uh-huh. him his entire career. It did? Like, she did. She did. She did. Him. She him. <laughs> oh my God. It's like so beautiful and like it, it is the scene in the cemetery. Like, oh my God. Like, are you fucking kidding me? That's more emotional than the movie, and that's saying something. <laughs> I am so mad at this trivia, but that's like also so beautiful at the same time. <gasps> Honestly, it, I mean, it, like it, the fact that it's just like, I don't know, there's something about Steel Magnolias that feels a little bit like a fairy tale, despite the fact that it's based on this real story like and this that horrible thing tracks, that Honestly, now, you know, sure. like, sure. But it is, it is this sort of magical fairy tale. <laughs> uh huh. But like, that's, that's actually how it happened. Like, oh, that's golly. what happened. This is the thing that actually happened. I well, know. Fuck. <laughs> I know. <sighs> like it's it's almost like if it wasn't like kind of like it's like sweet, it'd be mm-hmm. fucking hilarious. Like you couldn't, you literally could not write it better. You can't. You can't. Just now, I was laughing with the tears with going the on yeah. because like, of, yeah. because I had not hilarious. heard that second part. Yep. And I'm just like. One losing it laughing going what the fuck because that's fucking funny i mean it's yeah like the the irony of it is just like this goddamn movie exactly (laughs) which is both laughter through tears is my favorite Mm -hmm. emotion just so painfully tragically sweet and also hilarious Mm -hmm. like what are you gonna do what are you gonna do yeah it's amazing so good (sighs) oof for awards, Julia Roberts won a Golden Globe 
for her performance in this and she was nominated for an oscar for best supporting actress in steel magnolias she lost to brenda fricker in my left foot all right well that brings us to ratings um for God. Every, i know i mean like we've just been on we've 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 gone with this movie we've been our ups and our dad we've been on a roller coaster we've been we've we've gone through it like Malin. yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. pretty much we sure have and with every movie we come up with an uh, a specific rating system so for this film i mean i feel like the appropriate response is magnolias uh, it's it's magnolias. It's magnolias. Yeah, it's magnolias. <laughs> All right, uh, scale of one to five, five being great. We can't do half magnolias. We can do whatever we want. Uh, David, five, <gasps> five magnolias. Jesus, after mm. after the personal take on it, because I'll never be able to watch it the same way again. Now no. knowing that and knowing that deep personal connection, but it is a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale in that way. I think. There's a little hesitation on the five because you bring up the issue with Spud and you bring up the issue sure. with the the male characters can be a little tentative. But on the other hand, it all still works for me. Like every single bit of it works. In a lot of ways, this is kind of a perfect culmination of this series because every single one of the movies we've watched is pretty good. There's some bad, but all of them have like kind of one thing missing from them that mm-hmm. we wish they had more of. This movie pulled all of those things that we wish they had more of together. Mm-hmm. It really does. And I I I don't find any faults with it and it is so immensely watchable and enjoyable. Now mm-hmm. just as much as it would have been then. Mm-hmm. It's not dated, it's not hard. I mean there's a reason that you can do this play now because it doesn't matter. It's just it's just so tightly well written and then immaculately performed five magnolias five magnolias jordan it's one of my all-time favorite movies i've i can't tell i like i said i've watched it countless times the cast is fucking flawless the script is hilarious and it makes you cry the the way it's shot is beautiful like there's not uh, it's five magnolias like it it's just it's a it's a perfect movie and like it, it and it, and that's the thing what i said earlier it it it's so very specifically in the time period that it takes place in and that it's written in like play came out in what 80 87 or something like that and it yeah something were somewhere in there the movie came out in 89 and like it all it, it's all very so specifically that time period but you could take it out of that time period and still have it feel like all of that and it's it's time it's just it yeah uh, like adding people having cell phones doesn't change this movie no not even like, remotely it changes nothing technology that that's one of the things that like people get really iffy about was like technology does not change this script at Mm-mm. all it just changed the look of that salon it changes yeah. what people are wearing it changes how they might be getting their hair done it changes exactly nothing it's it, just it, good I, I too have to give it five. I'm actually a little surprised I'm giving it five. I think when I've always thought about this movie in the past, I'm like, oh, it's that stupid movie. I, I've, I've just always looked at it as that stupid, overrated <laughs> Southern movie. Everybody talks about that movie. <laughs> and I just don't care. But watching it critically, it's five magnolias. This movie's great. This is so great. It, has, it is. The writing is perfect. And yeah, I, I don't care for Spud. But the thing is, this movie's not about Spud. I don't give two shits about mm-hmm. him. I forget about him. I'm not, I don't care. And he was an addition to, 
but he is not a subtraction from the film. Yeah. So I don't care. I he I I don't I don't need to take points off because he's barely mm-hmm. in the film. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, it's a it's a five. And it's funny you talk about like this is a great culmination of this film and thinking about the other films we've done in this series, a lot of the films our issue is that they all take place with this core location or this core idea. And then when they got too far away from that, it fell apart and it got horrible. We had that problem with nine to five with the problem with mystic pizza. Uh, it just, it was too messy. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. This film is based on a play that takes place in one location. And then they made it into a film where they go everywhere and it holds up and they did it so well. And so that is very funny. All right. Well, Thank you so much for being here to talk to us about this movie. Thank you so much for having me. I love I love chatting about this kind of stuff, movies and <laughs> movies and story stories and movies and absolutely medium and theater and all of that. Uh, if people want more of Jordan the Lady Dame, where can they get more of you? That's an excellent question. Well, I mostly right now, um, I'm on Twitter. And on Twitch, most of the time, the Lady Dame is my handle on both of those. Uh, Twitter is mostly where I yell about a lot of stuff, um, and mostly when you can find out when I'm doing stuff. Uh, but on, I'm a variety streamer on Twitch. I tell stories. I will read books, classic novels out loud. I also play a variety of games. I run charity TTRPG games yeah. once a month. Although I'm. I occasionally will take months off because it's a lot of work, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I'm the host of a show on Twitch called Smutty Saturday, um, where I am joined by a number of guests each week. And we read fan fiction of the Smutty Variety. We also read Chuck Tingle. Um, I am approved by Chuck Tingle himself to read stories <laughs> on my Twitch stream. Um, and it's a ridiculously good time if you're a big fan of particularly cursed smut. There's often, there's honestly, there's a lot of tentacles and monster smooching involved <laughs> in what I read. Particular favorite of yours. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's, that's 9 p.m. Pacific on every Saturday uh, over on my Twitch channel. And that's like the big thing that I do but I also like I said I tell a lot of stories and read books and that kind of thing so yeah very cool very fun all right well again thank you so much for being here this was so much fun and we can't wait to have you on again in the future honestly anytime I will I'm anytime absolutely (laughs) all right well until next time have a good movie Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.